Greetings, fellow Earthlings, and boy, has this week been out of this world. Thank you for joining us. We are ready to unwrap the tech of today, and here's a quick look at what's ahead. Apple has officially killed my favorite dumb smart speaker, the OG HomePod. Thanos officially snapped the March 23rd event out of thin air, but not before some of the most highly trusted leakers out there reported on it. The new iPad Pro could ship with Thunderbolt included, and the teenager behind last year's Bitcoin scam has officially been busted in this week's edition of Apple Crime. All that and more, but let's check in with our special guest, Twitter user, Apple Demo YT. Hey, Bram. How you doing this morning? I'm doing quite good. How are you? Pretty good. I've been following your Twitter for a couple years now. Um, they've been finding your content for quite a while, um, and I have some questions for you. All right. Fire away. For those of you that don't know, you, you sort of, I'll give you the opportunity to kind of introduce yourself, but basically you specialize in collecting Apple products, specifically prototypes. So tell us a little bit about that. Well, my Apple collection is kind of an assortment of devices. I do collect prototypes and I also collect other things such as um, like demo units and sealed devices. But prototypes are the main thing that people seem to enjoy because they're the kind of more obscure end of the scale. Yeah, And I noticed that one of the newest things on your feed here, you have a, a prototype iPhone 4S. Now, it's in the DVT stage. Are, are you able to kind of break that down and explain what that means to users, like sort of how Apple lays this out? Because DVT, and that's an abbreviation, is just one of the many stages that these prototypes go to, go through. Yes, it is. Um, a funny thing about this, um, there's actually a kind of common misconception within the prototype community that there's only three stages, which are engineering validation testing, design validation testing, and product validation testing. These three stages are, they're kind of broad in what they actually mean, but there's a lot of kind of middle stages and stages at the very beginning and at the very end. So, um, you have this iPhone 4S, and it's in the, the development stage, this DVT stage. Um, and it's kind of cool because when you posted this, it was it was the 10th anniversary of the iPhone 4S. And what I found particularly interesting about this is you mentioned uh, this would be one of the last uh, iPhones that Steve Jobs would have had an impact on that he worked on before he died. I mean, how does it feel to have something like that in your hands? Um, I mean... In a way, it's quite surreal. At this point, I have, I mean, so many prototypes of like, you know, an assortment of devices. Like I have Apple watches, I have iPads, I have iPhones, but this device is kind of one of my favorites. And the funny thing is I actually own about five of these at this point because at some point back in around 2018 ish, um, they were just like, water in China and like you were able to purchase, like you were able to purchase a ton of them for really cheap. So I managed to obtain a few myself. Um, nowadays, I've heard of prices varying quite a lot because I mean, I might have something to do with that because I obviously discovered that the phone was actually manufactured only a few days before Steve Jobs had actually resigned from Apple. Wow. But the funny thing about this phone is um, I believe this phone to be something called a carrier model of iPhone, basically an iPhone that would have been distributed to like, um, carriers and, um, like, um, the FCC and stuff like that. And obviously some of these phones were also used for, um, Apple engineering. So I actually own an iPhone 
that's basically the exact same, but instead of running that same development operating system that you saw in the video, this run runs a more general version of iOS. It's uh, like a very early version of iOS 5 with development features and the such. That phone was probably the most expensive out of all of the iPhone 4Ss just because it runs iOS and for some reason, even though literally the hardware is identical, just because it runs iOS, that suddenly makes it three times the price. But, you know, that's just kind of how it works sometimes. Now, you're, you're pretty famous for this online for collecting these prototypes. You know, is there what kind of currency are you using here? I mean, what can you tell us about how you obtain this? Is this like a Bitcoin thing or, or how does this work? What can you tell us? <laughs> there are a few things that I can tell you. What I will mention is um, a lot of the prototypes that I actually have, I don't get from people who know that the devices that they're selling are prototypes in the first place. Um, for example, a device that I showed that recently got quite a lot of popularity was an Apple Watch, like an original Apple Watch that um, has a security case on it. Mm -hmm. And the, the funny thing is I was getting asked by people like, oh, where did you steal this from? Or <laughs> um, what engineering guys stole this from Apple and sold it to you? But the thing is, I actually got that watch from eBay, believe it or not. Oh, wow. <laughs> which which it, so it sounds stupid. And if I'm being honest, it completely is. Because I remember when it exactly happened. It was like a Monday morning at like 6 in the morning. I have these um, eBay search terms that look for specific things that are in eBay listings. For example, like it might search eBay listings to see if the term Apple prototype is anywhere within a listing. And if it is, it'll, it'll like give me a notification whenever something like that pops up. But I was just checking my phone and I got a notification saying that something had been listed within the Apple prototype kind of range of search terms. So I checked it and it was a, just a normal looking Apple watch. It didn't have the security case in the photos. And I didn't even know it included that, to be honest. <laughs> like, I was as surprised as probably everyone was that it even included it. It was just a normal-looking Apple Watch. But in the third photo, it never showed any, like, the QR code on the Apple Watch. It never actually showed that directly. But in the third photo, you can see a slight little, like, line on the side, which I could tell was a QR code. So I purchased it immediately, and then upon getting it, I got an assortment of gifts like the Passport, um, which is – it's basically a little – like the little blue um, kind of booklet that came with the Apple Watch. It's basically uh, like a range of testing that was done on it. Um, funnily enough, the box itself actually has the engineer's name, which I did, I did look up, and I won't reveal, obviously, because I don't want this guy getting in trouble. And I don't think he would have been the one who sold it in the first place because I bought it for basically what a for parts Apple Watch would have gone for. So... That's interesting, and and so um, this is this is the prototype you're referring to is um, it's an Apple Watch, right? And it's concealed in this casing for the prototyping stage that makes it appear as if it's a goofy looking sort of iPod Nano. Yes, exactly. Um, Apple does do this quite often with many devices. Um, if you look online, I know I've seen a first generation iPad security case. I know recently. Um, Within like the last year on Twitter, someone posted about an iPhone 6S Plus that was in a security case that kind of looked made it look like um 
that made like the screen look wonky. So it was like the ratio of an iPhone five or something along those lines. Yeah. But Apple does do this quite often with these security cases. And I mean, I've talked to many bigger prototype collectors than myself because I am, I am a pretty big Apple collector, but compared to some other big fish, I'm quite small, especially with the amount of money that I am usually comfortable with spending on any prototype, whether even if the person knows that the device that they're selling is prototype or not. I mean, you definitely have one of the coolest collections out there. Uh, I, I want to dive deep in on this, on the Apple Watch a little bit for a second. So it, it was running, and I watched the video, it was running this internal UI Again, it's concealed in something, this plastic case that makes it look like it's a sort of a wonky looking iPod. And this is so the employees can test it, um, you know, out in the field. And at first glance, it doesn't look like a new product. It just looks like some run of the mill MP3 player. Um, well, about that, I don't think that the security case would be something directly that like, say, an employee would pull it out in public, like with a looking like an iPod. I don't think it would have been like that. I think it was mainly for when the product was actually being shipped from Shenzhen to Cupertino. Oh, okay. Where, say, if Customs opened up the packaging, unless, obviously, they took off the security case or something, which they probably wouldn't. But it's mainly just to conceal the actual Apple Watch design before the... Or more so to conceal the Apple Watch design while it's being transported from one place to another. That's interesting. Um, you also have a, a prototype on here. Um, you talked about the Apple Watch Edition prototype. And interestingly enough, you mentioned that it is actually gold-plated. It's actually not real gold. That Apple Watch itself, that's not um, a prototype. That one's actually a demo model. Um, I, I misspoke. Yeah, it's the, it's the demo unit. Yeah. Um, with these demo units... You might recall if you went into an Apple store from anywhere around 2015 to 2016, there were the Apple Watch Edition demos that were underneath like the glass um, that would like play the continuous loop. Obviously, it would be very cost ineffective to make all of those Apple Watches pure gold. So Apple essentially just took stainless steel Apple Watches and a different stainless steel case and um, slapped a board in there and just made it look like an Apple Watch edition. And a funny thing about those as well is that the unactual stainless steel Apple Watches and um, gold Apple Watches, the screen is usually sapphire, but they actually put Ionex glass on these ones to prevent reflections within the store. I actually have your page up here in front of me. It says Apple Watch edition first generation demo unit. So these were the, these were the, the watches that were, you know started at like seventeen thousand dollars back when the Apple Watch first debuted, um, they were solid eighteen karat gold. This particular demo unit, which you were talking about, was belonged in this casing. It wasn't a try on demo. Um, it says are gold plated stainless steel Apple watches, not solid eighteen karat gold, and have ion X glass instead of sapphire crystal to reduce light reflections in the store. It really shows you that that Apple thinks of everything. Yeah. <laughs> You also have this uh, uh, look at one of the design patents for uh, an Apple Watch demo unit, and then and for those of you that may have not seen this before, it was it was in uh, Apple stores and some Apple certified resellers. Uh, they had this demo unit where it was sort of this Apple Watch propped on top of a little board that also housed uh, uh, an iPad, an iPad Air of the time, running iOS nine. Um, and you were able to get one of your hands on this. I, I understand um, 
it's not unique to the United States. It's in a different language. It's from a different store. Um, well, I actually, funnily enough, I made a video on this, I think last week, and it was kind of going over a lot of defects that these, um, iPad Apple Watch dimly units actually have. But in terms of what they actually are, um, it is essentially an iPad 2 with an Apple Watch that are paired, um, not by Bluetooth, but by an actual like tethered connection, which is also how the Apple Watch like receives power and stuff like that, because there's no, you can, like it would be very weird to have to link up a magnetic um charging puck to the back of the Apple Watch and it would make it so someone could like rip off the watch and steal it easier. But so the thing is I actually own I would say 3.5 of these. Um the 0.5 is because one of the ones that I have um it's kind of a parts unit where the charging board inside of that unit is completely fried. Um which it actually, I actually swapped it from another unit that I had that had the Apple Watch. But I swapped those over, so now this unit that does not have an Apple Watch has a broken charging board and, like, the actual unit turns on and stuff. It's running iOS 8. But the other three ones that I have, two of them are in Chinese because they actually came from China. And one of those units that are in Chinese have the... Um, original box to the unit mm. and one of them is in english which came from an american store which i actually had the documentation that came along with it like the apple invoice and the shipping information wow. and stuff like that it, it, I, I noticed uh, on a post that you have here from february 24th of this year um it looks like it's an ipad air and it looks like it's running ios 9 based on the wallpaper is is this did they have different generations of this some of them running older versions some of them running newer well, all of them are um, iPad Mini 2s at heart. Okay. But it all depended kind of on when the unit itself was decommissioned. Some of the units that I have, um, which is the 0.5 of one that is kind of a unit, kind of not, mm-hmm. and uh, the American one, those ones run iOS 8, and obviously one doesn't have a watch, but the American one that does have a watch, the watches on those ones run watchOS 2.0. Huh. So... Because the Apple Watch first generation had a kind of weird life cycle where there wasn't another Apple Watch the next year. Yes. Essentially, the Apple Watch was still like the first Apple Watch was still the only model that was being sold for two years in a row, which is why WatchOS 1 and 2 is supported on these units. But I actually have seen some watches on these run WatchOS 3.0. And I actually did own a unit like that at some point, but at this point, I um, actually sold it. Quite a while ago. So this is like an all-in-one uh, kiosk. Yeah, essentially. Now, I, a big question for you, because every time I see these, I, I have the big question. Can you pop out an iPad and just use it like normal? The iPad that's included in this display? Um, no, you can't. Okay. Um, <laughs> I have been asked this quite a, quite a lot, actually. Funnily enough, the iPad itself... Essentially, the entire unit is the iPad casing at this point. The actual digitizer is included in the like the big front glass panel. Mm-hmm. Um, you could maybe take out the logic board and the battery and a few smaller components like that, but there isn't like a hidden iPad in it, and all of the parts of the iPad. There's no like metal unibody just hanging in in there. <laughs> no, there isn't. <laughs> So good. that's a good question because I noticed on your timeline, and this is probably the last device we'll talk about, 
um, you have a Apple Watch Series 2, and you're like, it, it, you were saying it, it actually powers on, it pairs, works great. It, this is actually something you can use, even though it's a prototype? Um, yeah, you can. This is an Apple Watch um, Series 2 that's of the DVT stage, which is designed validation testing. Mm-hmm. The watch itself runs um, a normal version of iOS. So if I had to guess, the previous engineer who had it was probably actively using it as just a normal watch. Um, it essentially acts just like a normal Apple Watch when you pair it and stuff like that. Yeah. Obviously, the serial number doesn't show up on Apple.com and it has the QR code on the back. And if you hook it up to a computer, it will say that it's um, developmental in nature. <laughs> But it does pair just fine. So I've seen you use this this device, sort of, I guess you could call it a dongle, that allows you to connect an Apple Watch to a Mac. It's like a diagnostic tool. Um, is is why, why do Apple Watches show up as iPods when you connect them into iTunes? Why is that? Um, well... The thing is, Apple Watches usually only show up as Apple Watches. It's just I was doing some funky stuff, which I can't go quite into at this time because it, it could it could be something that could be upcoming in a potential YouTube video. But to what I had done to a specific Apple Watch to get it into to do that, um, it showed up as an iPod because if I only had to assume um, because the device itself wouldn't have a serial number and it no. I said that wrong. It wouldn't, it showed up as an iPod because the device itself doesn't have an IMEI number because it's obviously not an iPhone. And I think the computer just assumed because it doesn't have an IMEI and it's a device that it doesn't know what it is. Yeah. It just showed up as a first generation iPod touch. That's interesting. So it kind of, it's kind of like a panic and then it just defaults to iPod. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And it, it didn't actually even show any other information. It just was stuck at the lo- like loading, and it never said like anything about the software version or serial number. So is that is that how you kind of sort of track down what stage these were at? Do you just look up the IMEI number? Well, I actually have a few different methods in which I am able to find the stage. The easiest method that it, there is, which I'm su- starting to find out that it might not be the most reliable because I'm finding out that people are somehow faking this Mm. is there's something on every Apple device called the system configuration or like sys info in this file. It essentially details what stage a device actually is. Now all devices have this, um, usually on non prototypes, it won't really have anything of interest. It'll say something like artwork equals one or something, which generally doesn't mean that a device is prototype at all. But on prototypes, it will show like DVT um, slash then like the number, like the model number of what the actual device is slash then the um, asset number. Which, um, mm-hmm. if you look at the like, for example, the iPhone 4s that I posted about, at the very bottom right, there's a little. It's like ZD two zero six five, if I recall correctly. That's kind of like okay. the asset number it's so apple can kind of keep track of that device it would essentially be within that um little like um system configuration file which that's also great because say if you have a prototype that says it's one number and then you go into the system configuration file and it shows that there's another number there it generally means that the board might be unoriginal to that frame 
But with that, I'm starting to find out that people are able to actually change this file and make it seem like a device is not what it actually is, which is starting to become a big problem. So it's becoming a less reliable avenue for verifying these products. Yeah, exactly. But aside from that, there are a few other methods which include um, doing an internal search of the actual serial number, which sometimes comes back with something, sometimes doesn't. It mainly depends on what stage the device is. Like later stage devices like DVT and PVT ones, and aside from all the other miscellaneous stages that there are, um, Mm -hmm. those ones usually show up just fine within like the internal search, but earlier ones like EVT and Proto 1, Proto 2 stage devices, those ones generally don't show up. I'm not sure why, but I guess they're just not really logged internally, which you'd think that earlier devices would be logged more, but just within the methods that I use, those ones generally don't show up that well. Interesting. Now you have your YouTube channel. It's fairly new. Um, but you're, you do some deep dives on a few products here, including the iPhone and including um, that iPad Apple Watch kiosk we were talking about. Um, where can the where can the listeners find you? Um, well, I have two main places which I post. You can find me at Apple Demo on YouTube, and I need a, I forgot what my actual Twitter ad is. I haven't used it in a while. Um, yeah. At Apple, and you can also find me at, at Apple Demo YT on Twitter. Cool, and and we'll we'll mention that again at the end of the show. That way, you guys can stay up to date on what Mister Demo here is doing day to day. Take a deep dive at some of these products. You, you ready to hop into news? <laughs> or there there was one thing that I oh, wanted to mention as one, well. One more Just thing. In he has terms one more of, thing. <laughs> yeah, one more thing. In terms of prototypes and stuff like that. Something that I'm asked quite a lot is, are you ever worried that Apple is going to like break down your door like they did that with that iPhone 4 guy back in 2010? Yeah. I've probably been asked that maybe 12 times at this point, honestly more. Something that I kind of keep to myself is if Apple ever wants any device that I have back, like say if it poses a security risk to Apple, I'm more than happy to give it back. Granted, obviously, I know it's Apple, and it's not just someone who's imitating Apple and trying to get a free device. But I myself, I love Apple, and I don't try to pose as any kind of security risk. I'm just a guy who genuinely thinks that prototypes have a lot of blood, sweat, and tears poured into them. Definitely. And the Apple engineers need a bit more recognition with a lot of the different revisions of devices because these are obviously lost among time because they're never shown. But I don't aim to like be in Apple's least interests at all. I just want to show devices that are quite cool in my opinion. But if Apple ever had contacted me and said, Oh, we need, I don't know, an iPhone back because it has employee information on it and it yeah. poses a security risk. I would be more than happy to give it back because I don't want to get on to Apple's bad side at all. So, <laughs> you know, it, it's important though that you mentioned that because, and I'm glad you brought it up before we moved on to the stories because when you showcase these prototypes, it really shows the, the progression in engineering, the learning that they do 
um, you know, at, from each stage to the next. Just these tiny little tweaks, like you said, are blood, sweat, and tears, and, and really it shows the magic of Apple. And it's kind of cool because when I browse, you know, your YouTube or your Twitter, it feels like I'm sort of peeling back that curtain and getting an inside look at at, at what Apple does, not only what they do, but how they do it, the, the thinking that really begins with all these products. Yeah, exactly. And just b- before we get into the next segment, um, I wanted to mention one thing just with the whole buying part of it. I have been offered newer prototypes. Um, I generally, as a kind of rule of thumb, I generally try to stay away from prototypes that are in within the three year range. Um, like, because I don't really think that a device like that is really gonna sit well with Apple. I often am offered devices like an iPhone 11 prototype DVT stage that oh, wow. has the internal operating system on it. Those devices in themselves, I mean, first of all, I can't, I could never afford one of those because it's like thousands of dollars to get something like that. But devices like that, I, I really don't think Apple would appreciate anyone other than Apple owning because they're so, like they're so new, and a lot of the times these devices also have employee information on it, which could be confidential information about upcoming products and stuff like that. And like I mentioned before, I have absolutely no interest in doing anything bad towards Apple. Obviously, I'm sure they probably don't like that I post prototypes of any kind, but I generally post devices that are at least three years old because those devices I don't believe post um, pose any kind of real security risk today to yeah and its interests yeah well that's good that you add that little tidbit in you know it like you said I'm sure Apple doesn't like you posting <laughs> prototypes <laughs> to begin with um, but you know it, it you, you may be right they may look at that and say you know that was years ago it doesn't matter now you know, the architecture's changed, not it doesn't matter, but the architecture's changed so drastically to the point where, as you said, it's not it's not a security risk to be showing some of the things that you've that you've been showing. Yeah. And I mean, I sometimes have heard about um Apple insiders who've said things about Apple regarding prototypes and people posting them. From what they've said, and I mean, don't quote me on this because I don't know if the information is 100% accurate, but I've heard that apparently Apple doesn't really care about devices that are not upcoming. But I, at the same time, I still wouldn't think that Apple would appreciate, for example, not too long ago, and it was for quite an insane price, I heard about an iPhone 11 Pro Max in Pacific Blue that was a DVT, which I think I... It was the 12, right? Yeah, the iPhone 12. Um, I posted something on Twitter about an Apple internal search for the activation lock. The first image that I have on that Twitter post is actually of the iPhone 12, which um, it's D53PDVTNA-JPSVVEXTJ, which is the um, iPhone 11 Pro Max in Pacific Blue. The person wanted, I think it was something like $21,000 for a device like that. Wow. And I, so I, I looked it up internally with my buddy and it did show up because this device also was an employee phone. The device itself, first of all, it's in lost mode. Wow. With iCloud. That's surprising. Which, 
<laughs> That's quite the red flag. <laughs> and secondly, apparently there was an internal bounty set to get oh. this device back. And and um, you might recall with um, activation lock and iCloud, devices can actually be tracked through Bluetooth on other devices. It was either <laughs> yes, Bluetooth stay or away some from that. kind of... <laughs> yeah. Something like that I would like to stay well away from because I have absolutely no interest in trying to like exploit Apple or do any kind of security research against Apple. I myself am not really into security research. I don't use any device that I have to do anything that Apple wouldn't like. I just look, I look at them. I look at the software, maybe like, you know, even put my own music on the prototypes just for fun, but I don't. Yeah. It's, it's, it's your collector. Yeah. I, I just collect, I don't try to, like get security exploits to sell or anything. I, I mean, obviously the devices that I collect anyways are like over three years old. So even if I did, which I don't, Apple <laughs> probably wouldn't care a lot because the devices are so old that they're not really worth, you know, for example, like with this, um, I recall hearing that there's a way to change the serial number on, on this, by the way, this is production devices on anything that is affected by the checkmate exploit. Um, I've heard that Apple could quite easily patch this method, but they just don't. <laughs> I don't. And, and, and this is, that, this that's is something when you refer to checkmate, just for our viewers out there, that that's a jailbreak vulnerability. <laughs> yeah, this is a, it's an unpatchable jailbreak vulnerability with um, the A5 to A10 chips, if I'm recalling correctly. Which basically, with another program, allows you to change the serial number of devices. Um, on iPhones, this doesn't really matter because when an iPhone is being activated on Apple.com, it requests more than just the serial number and like the Bluetooth address and stuff like that. It also requests the IMEI, which you can't change. But on iPods and stuff like this, like the iPod 6 and the iPad 4th generation, you can actually change the serial number even if it's activation locked, and it will act as if it's not anymore, which I think that's a huge security vulnerability with activation lock in general because, I mean, I think the point of it is to prevent people who shouldn't be activating a device to not that, activate a device. That isn't theirs, yeah. And... Apple could quite easily check for other identifying information about a device that would quite easily prevent this, but they just don't. And Interesting. It might sound a little bit like um, it might sound like it doesn't have anything to do with what I was saying, but this kind of all ties in with, in my experience and from what I've heard, it generally doesn't seem like Apple cares about older devices with like over three years old. And that's why my rule of thumb mainly is, don't collect anything that might piss off Apple, basically. <laughs> if you're interested in entering this, entering this market, don't collect anything uh, over three years old. <laughs> and, and don't collect anything that's in lost mode as well. <laughs> yes. Because you can, there's ways that you can quite easily check to see if a device is um, in lost mode. Even on prototypes, it works as well. If you just look up iCloud check and then just put in the serial number, it'll tell you if a device is in lost mode or not. I uh, do own an, that. That doesn't other. really make any sense. So I would phrase that. I would say, don't collect anything that's that's been launched or revealed within the last three years. <laughs> Basically, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, moving forward, uh, we, we have a few stories to talk about, first of which being Apple has officially discontinued the original HomePod, the OG HomePod. Um, they said they're shifting their focus to the $99 HomePod Mini, which has been very well received in the market. Uh, the HomePod was released in 2018 after five years of development, and a lot of time and effort went into this development. Uh, I don't know if you've collected any HomePods. Um, HomePods, I actually haven't really seen many prototypes to begin with. I've seen one that was just a board. Yeah, you but, never you never really see those. Yeah. Um, Apple actually, while it was developing the HomePod Mini, um, they built one of the largest anechoic chambers in the United States. So this this chamber was void of any echo, so as to eliminate any noise that could potentially interfere or affect the purity of the audio for testing. Very cool. Let's find little tidbits about the development of the original HomePod. So the result here was an engineering marvel uh, when it was released. It's a speaker that has a series of tweeters, seven tweeters, and a giant woofer. Um, it's arguably one of the best room-filling speakers ever made, in my opinion. And, and Apple was, was able to mitigate issues that occurred when, when placing a high-excursion subwoofer in, in such a small encasement. It, and this, this, to me, was really remarkable. That's the engineering feat right there, because... Even even with the smaller chamber that isolates the hum of the electronic components that are that are insulated in there, they, they remove all this noise interference. So the, the and the exterior cloth on the HomePod is is this material that's audibly transparent. That's the way Apple refers to it. So you know this is really uh, an engineering marvel. Uh, HomePod has the ability to spatially audit its surroundings and adjust its output to compensate for walls and any other obstructions. You know, so so why when all these features and, and an excellent, excellent sound quality is packed in there, is it not extremely popular? Why is it not well received? Um, I, I boiled it down to three things and I wrote these things down. Number one is price point, obviously. Uh, in 2018, when it was released, it started at 349. Uh, rumor has it out there among collectors, this thing only costs $216 to make, and they were selling it for $349. So that's near the top end of the home speaker market. Uh, they reduced the price down about a year later to $299. Um, now it has holiday specials, Black Friday and stuff for $199. Um, it's competing with other speakers and home assistants that have already uh, established their own ecosystem in the market. Um, these assistants that are already doing a good job, uh, like Alexa and, and Google and things like that. So it's kind of like Apple's goal was to bring to market this amazing speaker, and then Siri was just kind of a bonus. And even though Siri w wasn't as smart as Google or as smart as Alexa, it was kind of an afterthought to, to throw Siri in there and make this, you know, it was a bonus to your amazing speaker that also had Siri. Um Existing HomePods, Apple said, will continue to be sold while supplies last, and Apple will continue to provide service and support through Apple Care. We, and we kind of talked about this on last week's episode. When Apple goes with that while supplies last verbiage there, um, uh, it, it really pivots the direction of demand. Uh, it, it, 
amps up all this this collector frenzy. You have collectors that are coming in to buy it. A lot of people, a lot of Apple fans, dedicated Apple fans, are are panic buying them right now because they want more all over their house and they know it's only while supplies last. So I, I think this this verbiage is really working for Apple, um, but it does raise questions and concerns for me uh, as a dedicated uh, Apple fan. Um, you know, how long before I have a speaker that is no longer receiving updates and no longer plays nicely with my existing Apple TV, newer devices, you know, a new iPhone? How long before, you know, I upgrade that Apple TV in my living room or I upgrade that iPhone and all of a sudden the tvOS or the iOS that that's running no longer works with my OG HomePod? Trust me, I'd like to hang on to my HomePod forever. I love this thing. Um, it and to me is it you know is it just I love Apple to death don't get me wrong but to me is is it just you know another example of this Apple arrogance where you know will AirPods Max have the same fate is Apple diluting its brand loyalty I start to ask all these questions does this make early early adopters and devoted Apple consumers gun shy for the next product. You know, we're hearing things with, with AirPods Max that we only sold a million units. Apple only sold a million units um, since AirPods Max debuted last December. And, you know, you begin to wonder, you know, what is that product's fate like? It, obviously, it's not wildly popular. And we're okay knowing that we're the niche user, right? That we're the dedicated Apple fan. You know, but... I, AirPods Max are something I spend a lot of money on, and I'd love to hang on to. What are your some some What are some of your thoughts on this? Um, honestly, with Apple and just hardware support in general, it is very very weird. <laughs> just to give you an example, with the first generation iPhone, Apple only issued um, three software versions for it, which was iOS 1, 2, and 3. But for example, with the original iPod Classic, which it's actually coming up on the 20th anniversary this year, I think it's um late about October-ish, you can connect it to any brand new Mac. I mean, granted, you have the right adapters, of course, which those mm-hmm. adapters, obviously, to get it to connect properly... Those often cost probably about $100, but it will connect just fine and show up in iTunes as if it's a normal iPod. And it will even have like the little um, Firewire Apple icon. So in terms of AirPods and um, – or sorry, Air, AirPods Max and the speaker, I think Apple will support it for quite a while. Um, I don't think that they'll just like drop support. I yeah. mean, the least is you'll still you'll still be able to use it as if it's a Bluetooth headset in the least for AirPods Max, because like for example, you can use normal AirPods with an Android phone, and it granted you won't have the exact same features. I mean, it will be connected to an Apple device, so I highly doubt that they're just going to drop any kind of features like that. Like yeah, the, um, it will, being able to pause music, but it all comes down shooting. to that that H one chip and. You know, Apple's AirPlay protocol, which this all works off of, is is basically, like you stated, glorified Bluetooth. It's their version of Bluetooth. And, yeah. Um, you know, a Bluetooth channel that this runs through, and it helps with these convenient pairing animations and things that we've, we've become accustomed to. Um, you know, 
Apple's constantly innovating. You know, when that protocol changes, you know, five years from now um, with a new iPhone or in the case of the HomePod, not even the AirPods Max, but the case of the HomePod a year from now, maybe a couple months from now when a new Apple TV comes out, is it going to adopt an entirely new AirPlay protocol that's only compatible with HomePod Mini? And is there a, a sound bar in the works? Is there something that at some point will connect to an Apple TV that will replace the existing HomePod? Um, well, here, I'll, I'll give you another perfect example. Um, the iPhone 12, you can still use AirPlay with an Apple TV second generation, which came out in 2010, and it works just fine as if you're using any other Apple device. So in terms of actually being able to utilize like um the speaker and airplay and stuff like that i don't think that that will change and if it does mm -hmm. change apple will most likely still continue to support the previous protocol for quite a while at least so you can bet but, on a decade yeah you can bet on probably about a decade for in terms of the airpod max you the battery in those units you'll probably be able to get through a complete battery replacement like have the original ones die and they get through another battery replacement and have those ones die, you'll probably be able to get through at least like one battery replacement, which is I'll, I give about maybe six years-ish yeah, before. It, it's interesting to think about because uh, we saw the the third generation Apple TV, It's they're phasing out platforms on that television, you know, including uh, the latest version of YouTube. YouTube no longer works. Uh, HBO, uh, Paramount Plus, which just launched, you know, there's no App Store. Um, one of our writers over at Appleosophy, lead editor David Becker, he actually posted a hack on how to enable uh, Paramount Plus on there via AirPlay. Um, and it's sort of a workaround where you reboot the Apple TV and such. But, you know, it kind of boils down to, you know, Apple moves so fast, they innovate so fast, yeah. so you kind of have to evaluate, you know, what's the value proposition there? when you invest in these high-end products, I think Apple's really shooting for uh, the casual pro market. And I don't think that market is as big as they thought. Yeah. It's, Apple is very weird in terms of support where sometimes they'll give a device only three years of software updates. And obviously like if you go to the app store, you can't download anything for the original iPhone either, which is mainly um, just a case of, software developers no longer supporting iOS 3 because it's almost 10 years old. Um, <laughs> it's it's archaic at this point, think, yeah. Yeah. But in terms of, like, actually being able to use the device as, like, a standalone device with, like, no software updates and no software support, yeah. generally Apple is pretty good in that department in terms of, like, connecting in a first-generation iPhone or a first-generation iPod to your computer, and it doesn't complain that you can't use this device because it's too old. Like, it'll still work just fine. It's just in terms of actual software support on the device end and applications you can get on the device end. Generally, it's pretty poor in that regard, but yes. in terms of usability with, like, connecting it to a Mac or being able to mirror... Uh, the latest generation iPhone with an 11 year old Apple TV. That's where it gets funny where it's like Apple does support those kind of 
um, like those kind of things, but they don't really support software updates and um, applications, which applications, it's mainly a mix of both Apple and software developer, software developers themselves. Mm-hmm. But it's just, it's really weird like that. I don't know why it works like that, but <laughs> that's just how Apple is, I guess. Now, I, I want to shed some light on what's going on with the March event, or should I say the April event. It's a long story, but we're here to unwrap it for you. The Apple of March event that will not happen. The top leakers that got it wrong. These are people that we look up to. Kang, Prosser, Weinbach, Quo. These are the guys that reported on March 23rd. They said March 23rd, Apple event is happening, and it's on a Tuesday. So, you know, March 23rd falls on a Tuesday. We were all expecting that the Tuesday prior we would receive an invitation for the event, for the virtual event that was happening. It did not happen. We were there. We were refreshing our screens. We were browsing Twitter. Doom scrolling, one might say. That's what the kids are saying now. The leaker that's taking the biggest hit is Prosser. He bet his eyebrows there would be an event on March 23rd. And this morning, Prosser amended his March prediction, and he shifted the event to April. Now, he's the only guy saying this. He still concedes that on March 23rd, he will indeed shave off his eyebrows. Something he announced is that all the proceeds from his Fapata show that day will go to Wigs for Kids. He's going to shave his eyebrows on the latest episode of Fapata. And <laughs> this, all, this, all these funds from the episode will go to Wigs for Kids. Now, Wigs for Kids is a charitable organization providing free custom wigs made from real hair to children who lost their hair due to illness, treatment, or burns. So I think it's pretty cool that he's doing that. Not only is he holding his promise, but it's going to a good cause. In terms of um, leakers and people sometimes getting stuff wrong, I don't, I don't blame any of them. I mean, for all we know, it could have just been Apple saying, oh, it's going to be in March, and then, I don't know, maybe something happened, and then it got moved to April. And I I do know that sometimes even the biggest of leakers occasionally get information wrong. Um, mm-hmm. g- going with back to the theme of prototypes, I remember um, John posted an image of, I think it was a proposed iPhone 12 leak, where it was screenshots of a 6.7-inch iPhone 12 Pro Max display. But looking at the screenshots, I could actually tell that that's not that the device itself wouldn't be prototyped just based off of the information that was actually being presented on the screen. <laughs> well, it, it's interesting because you know you don't you don't expect leakers to hit it right on the mark every time. Exactly, you know, it, it's one of those things where you know we're lucky to be hearing anything at all, and we're crossing our fingers that they're right most of the time. And, you know, so it was one of those instances where we were all kind of anticipating the event. And long story short, it didn't happen. But now we get to watch Prosser shave off his eyebrows. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So I I think he should put his beard on the line for the April event. And just keep moving along. Intel has a new ad campaign with the I'm a Mac guy, a.k.a. Justin Long. It's an attempt to make M1 Macs with a series of ads. Looks silly. Um, actor Justin Long, who is famous for his role as the I'm a Mac guy in Apple ads in 2000s. Um, I think their message is a little muddy, a little dirty, a little murky here. 
in more ways than obvious. Uh, the ad compares Windows laptops with Intel processors and Apple Silicon Macs, concluding that Macs are too limited when compared to what Intel PCs can do. For those who watched the post-credit scene after the October 2020 Apple event, in which M1 Macs were introduced, Apple actually hired the I'm a PC guy, actor John Hodgman, and he was reacting to the M1 chip. It was a Marvel-style post-credit scene for the Apple event. Um, and some, So some might say that Apple threw the first punch. Uh, but here's where the waters get murky. When Justin Long did the I'm a Mac ads in the mid-2000s, Apple had Intel inside. They had Intel inside for about 15 years. So it's kind of interesting that they're promoting Intel here. Intel is being is being compared to these M1 chips as being superior, but Intel's been in the in the Mac for the past 15 years. Um, during this time, the guts of the computer of an Apple computer and a PC both had Intel. What made the difference was the OS, the operating system. This new ad campaign just seems like it's missing the target market. New ads are targeting Apple's Mac as a non-gaming device, saying, quote, nobody games on a Mac. That's kind of true. But it's misguided pressure about the M1 and AMD's Ryzen processors beating Intel in performance. Um, you know, Intel's video cards are laughable. So, you know... Intel's not really, Intel's kind of feeling the pressure from all different avenues, not just Apple, um, but but AMD as well. Um, what are your thoughts on these new ads? Have you taken a look at them? I actually haven't seen them as of late because I've been um, quite busy with um, university and the such, but just based off of what I'm hearing, I just think... Intel's probably just a bit salty that Apple's <laughs> leaving and going off and creating their own processor. I mean, it makes perfect sense. Apple has been making processors by themselves. Um, I think the first ever, at least, um, the first ever processor that the consumer could buy that was made by Apple was the iPad first generation, which had the A4 chip. Mm -hmm. So they've been doing it for over 10 years at this point. So it makes perfect sense as to why they would switch their Macs over to um, also Apple-created silicon. Well, but And a lot of people act like Apple silicon is new, but it's really is, it, it really is a decade in the making. You know, exactly. As you mentioned, it was on the very first iPad. Yeah, exactly. Because before that, Apple was actually um, getting Samsung... And they actually have still gotten Samsung to make the silicon, but they um, got Samsung to design it. For I know for the first generation iPhone, definitely, because I do have a prototype one, which has a Samsung branded um, processor instead of the Apple logo on it. Yeah, that's very true. Uh, Apple may design, you know, the, the instruction set arch architecture, but it's, it's really Samsung that's manufacturing the chips, which, which yeah, many people do not know that. Very yeah, I have a, there. I have an iPhone success with a Samsung created um, A8 chipset. Interesting. Now we have Mark Gurman also on the scene this week, and he comes from Bloomberg. Our old friend Mark Gurman, he's been on the scene for quite a while, and he's talking 2021 iPad Pros. So these are the ones we were expecting at the March 23rd event. Now Prosser is saying it is in fact an April event. 
Fun tidbit there, Apple has not hosted an April event since April 8th, 2010, uh, with where they previewed iOS 4. German is talking iPad Pros. He's saying it will have a processor on par or faster than the M1 chip. It'll be the biggest ever upgrade in performance for an iPad. He's saying early prototypes also included Thunderbolt. So the iPad may be, may be receiving Thunderbolt capability this year, which has previously been exclusive to the Mac. That would mean data transfer up to 40 gigabits per second, and that's four times faster than the current iPad Pro with USB-C. This is kind of cool to me because I'm, I'm a graphic designer, content creator. Mm-hmm. I would love to edit media off a, off a drive, off an SSD, just working on yeah. my iPad. That would be phenomenal. But where's the upsell there? Because, you know, Apple, if you have external storage and you make it so fast and efficient, the only upsell that Apple's had for the iPads just on a model-by-model basis is storage. That's how they charge people more. Um, So if you make external drives that feasible, there really needs to be very clear reasons to go pro. Um, He's saying... In terms of... Oh, sorry. (laughs) Yeah, no worries. He's saying as early as April... Um, we will see this new iPad that's coming from Mark Gurman of Bloomberg, and he says, no redesign. It will look the same. It will be compatible with current accessories, including the Magic Keyboard and Smart Keyboard Folio. Um, and that's we obviously did not mention the mini-LED display um, that the iPad is also supposed to gain this year, um, which, which leads to better sub-pixel anti-aliasing, less blooming, things like that overall. Better dynamic range, clearer display on the new iPad. What are your thoughts on this? In terms of um, inbuilt storage on devices, I don't think that if Apple supported um, SSDs outside of the actual iPad better than they currently do, I don't think that it would have a huge impact on people purchasing the lesser storage models than the more storage models because... Generally, when you buy a device, you don't really want to have to carry around an extra thing to you to always be able to like get your data off. Yes. And because you can lose it, you can forget whatever external storage device you have. If you just have it, the iPad itself, and that's all you need. I think generally people are going to still want the bigger storage of iPad because. Especially creators. It's just more convenient. Exactly. It's like, for example, holding a or getting an external battery pack for a device. Mm-hmm. You can do it and it will extend your battery life, but you prefer not to and you prefer to have the just have the battery inside the iPad be bigger instead of, okay, I can have an external battery pack, but now it's something else I have to carry. It's, it's all more, slim, it's more, yeah, it's more pistons. of a simplicity i would say yeah it's and it's more of a convenience factor to have a, a an external drive hooked up like you said it's it's not necessarily going to uh, diminish that upsell that apple has in place with storage exactly but in terms of um like content creators and video editors when they are at home and obviously the external drive will be just right there it is going to be a huge upsell in terms of that regard, but I don't think that it will make it so that Apple will not be able to market the higher capacity iPads any less than they do now. 
Get ready because it's time for this week in Apple Crime. This week in Apple Crime, Florida teenager Graham Ivan Clark will spend three years in prison for hacking Twitter. Some of you guys might remember this. Clark, who was just 17 at the time, hacked and took control of several Twitter accounts last year. Uh, these included Apple's official Twitter account, uh, also Bill Gates, Joe Biden, uh, the, the, were among the others. Uh, how he did it, he was able to convince a Twitter employee, I think we can assume ex-employee, that he worked for Twitter's information technology department, and then he accessed Twitter's customer service portal. He then posted on several accounts, again, including Apple's officially verified Twitter account, giving the same message. He says, we are giving back to our community. We support Bitcoin and we believe you should too. All Bitcoin sent to our address below will be sent back to you double, only going for the next 30 minutes. <laughs> so he posted that to all these verified accounts. That's the message he put out there about Bitcoin as a Bitcoin scam. With this scheme, he generated over $100,000 worth of Bitcoin. Unlucky for Clark, though, he was arrested just days later at his home in Hillsborough County. He pled guilty in exchange for a three-year prison sentence, and even though he was 17 at the time, he was able to get charged in state court as an adult in a financial fraud case. Two others from the UK were also charged with federal crimes as part of this attack. How foolish can you be? <laughs> it's, I guess this is kind of the same reason why I don't collect newer prototypes. <laughs> I could do something bad if I really wanted to, and it could technically benefit me, but morally, that's not right. <laughs> it's, you're, I mean, I wouldn't necessarily compare to like, I don't know, buying a, the latest generation of iPhone prototype, maybe in Apple's eyes, it would be worse. Um, but in terms of actually posting like, Oh, send Bitcoin to this address and I'll send you back double on multiple big Twitter users accounts. Even if you're 17, you know, that's not right. <laughs> yeah. And that's the takeaway here is, at 17 years old, you know right from wrong. This this was this isn't a oh I made an oopsie. You know he, exactly. He, he stole a hundred thousand dollars worth of Bitcoin. And that, I mean that means, I, that means that an incredible amount of people fell for this message. They thought that Tim Cook was just like, buddy, we're paying it forward, <laughs> Bitcoin all the way. <laughs> I mean, I can in a 17 year old's mind, I can see oh. I have this exploit. If I post something saying, send me Bitcoin, I'm going to get rich and I'm going to be able to do this, this and that with all the money that I'm at. I'm going to be, I'm going to be able to buy, I don't know, Supreme sweaters and stuff like that. But in reality, it's just Supreme sweaters <laughs> <laughs> and Fortnite myself, coins or whatever. Yeah, yeah, for, for, Fortnite <laughs> coins and stuff like that. I myself, I try to remain as morally sound as I can. That's why I don't do like security research with the prototypes that I have. I don't try to do anything that's not in Apple's best interests. I do collect prototypes, which can be seen at least in Apple's eye. I do collect prototypes, which at least in Apple's eyes, any kind of prototype I can assume is probably not morally great to have, but I don't try to 
collect anything that would potentially put Apple at risk of leaks. I don't try to harm Apple in any way. And I don't try to harm really anyone in any way intentionally because I probably wouldn't be able to sleep at night if I did because <laughs> I, I try to remain. How as do you sleep at night knowing that you have all of Apple's prototypes, man? Um, <laughs> well, I sleep at night because I know that they don't pose any real risk to Apple. <laughs> sure, they don't probably like me having them that much, which I, I can understand. Like, because these devices are essentially things that were supposed to be destroyed, but they weren't. But, like mentioned, they don't pose any risk to Apple at this point in time because all of, all of the devices that I have, even the like first generation iPhone prototype that I have, none of them have employee information on them. None of them have any type of information that could potentially result in a security risk to Apple. Yeah, and so, you, you have to think really carefully about what you're posting too because – you know, I I know a lot of people blur those those QR codes and stuff that are etched onto the back. Do those not lead to anything if you scan them? Is that why you don't blur those? Um. Well, on some devices, I blur QR codes. Sometimes it looks like it's not blurred, but I've actually done a little bit of funky stuff with the photo where I oh, okay swapped cool. around a few of the like on the data matrix. I've done something where like I've swapped around a few of the values, so it looks like. It's not modified, but it actually is. And on some of the devices that, say if I see a device on a website that I commonly frequent, which I find prototypes on, and I'm not going to buy it. I'll post it without the data matrix because it's already posted publicly, obviously. But generally when you scan those, that'll lead to the serial number. And of course with the serial number, it'll be able to be backtraced with Apple. Yeah, so you have to think really carefully about... You know, when you when you showcase these products on your Twitter, how much you're actually showing people, um, you know, hiding, keeping the right things, you know, obstructed. <laughs> I mean, I myself, I haven't actually ever purchased a device directly like from an employee. So there's no real risk of, say, if I did decide to, oh, I'm going to post every QR code that I have. To me, there's not really any risk, but to the people who potentially had those prototypes and it somehow managed to get leaked and I bought it on eBay, I don't want anyone getting hurt by what I'm aiming to do, which is just purely show pieces of Apple history that not many people get to see. I don't want anyone to get in trouble for that. Mm-hmm. You know, again, I'm, I'm as we wrap up the show... I'm going to ask you to let the listeners know where they can find you. Where can they find you? You can find me on Twitter, and my um, Twitter at is at AppleDemoYT. And you can also find me on YouTube by just looking up AppleDemo. Excellent. And you can find me on Twitter. That's just my name. That's at Bramshank. That's B-R-A-H-M-S-H-A-N-K. All I am is a tech analyst. I hope you enjoy it. <laughs> Thank you guys so much for tuning in to this week's episode of Appleosophy Weekly. Mr. Demo, I'm going to call you that. Mr. Demo, thank you for joining <laughs> us. It's been a no blast. No problem. It was, a, it was my pleasure. Tune in next week for next week's tech of today. I, I'm, I'm all weird ending this today. <laughs> we don't have an official ending, so I kind of just say bye usually. 
Yeah. But I'm gonna thank you. I apologize in advance to the editors. <laughs> Again, thanks for tuning in. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of Appleosophy Weekly, and we'll see you again next week.